podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Transfer Thursday, September 17th. The Two-Footed Podcast brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Massive breaking news this morning is that Liverpool have finally ended the saga and agreed a fee for Thiago Alcantara, the Spanish midfielder from Bayern Munich. This deal comes together after months and months of speculation. The Athletic were the first ones with the story this morning. I believe it crashed their servers, among other things. As news rolls out, uh, Paul Joyce of the Times has reported that it's a £20 million fee with about £5 million in bonuses and add-ons. So Liverpool have gotten their man. They've gotten him at slightly below the asking price Bayern will probably say they got their asking price. Either way, it's a great deal for Liverpool. They get a world-class operator. For the last five years, Thiago Alcantara has been the best midfield player in the Bundesliga. He's been one of the five best midfield players in world football. And he's one of the 15 or so best players in the world overall. Liverpool have needed somebody of his nature in their team. One of the problems for Liverpool has been they've been quite easy to stop. If you can figure out how to stop Trent and how to stop Andy Robertson, you can really hamper how Liverpool play. They still will have the individual quality of Sadio Mane and Mo Salah to beat you, but if you shut the, shut down those fullbacks, Liverpool become predictable. They become plodding. They become a little bit run of the mill. When those fullbacks are flying, they're a special team to watch. When they're not, things get very, very slow, very bogged down. There was no creativity in that midfield. Nominally, Jordan Henderson, not at all creative. Ginny Wijnaldum, originally a creative player, but has curbed that side of his game to fit into a role at Liverpool. And Fabinho is a holding midfielder. So now they add Thiago Alcantara into this. Now, some people will look at his, his goal numbers and his assist numbers and say, well, he's not a creative player. He doesn't have big goals and assists. If you look at the underlying numbers, if you look at his XG chain, his XG build, look at his progressive passing numbers, this is a magnificent footballer who's going to add a new dimension to this team. He is one of the most press-resistant players in the world. He's impossible to take the ball off. He plays the game at a pace that shows he's mastered his position. It's almost Zen-like. It's like watching a monk take part in monk activities. I don't know what monk activities is, but you know what I mean. This guy is a very special footballer, has been for a long time. Liverpool have been in pursuit of him for years. Jurgen Klopp has always wanted to work with him. and Even when Jurgen Klopp signed Naby Keita, who was better than him. Now he gets to work with both of them together. The potential of a Thiago, Fabinho and Naby Keita midfield is something that I think all Liverpool fans will get very excited about. But when you add Jordan Henderson and Ginny Wijnaldum 
and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Curtis Jones and James Milner into that mix, that's an embarrassment of riches for Liverpool in the midfield area. It really is an embarrassment of riches. They've upgraded the starting core and they've got this incredible depth behind them. Liverpool's midfield is boxed off now. They don't need to think about it for a while. They still have work to do, of course. They still need a replacement for Lovren. They still need somebody in attack. There's been a lot of talk about Ishmael Assar. There's been a lot of talk about um, the potential for Jeremy Doku to come in from Anderlecht. We'll wait and see on that. But to get this deal across the line, and importantly, it's been reported that this deal is not dependent on anybody leaving. So if the likes of Rian Brewster or Harry Wilson or Grujic or Shakiri or Origi leaves, you'd imagine that money then goes to funding the other areas of need in the team. Um, you would have to give massive credit on this story to James Pierce at the Athletic. He's the one that's broken it. He had the exclusive and he had good details on it as well. You do feel bad for the Liverpool Echo, though, who have been adamant since the beginning that this deal was not happening, that it was rooted in fantasy, that Liverpool had no interest, that he was not an active target, etc., etc., etc. They doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down over and over and over again. And this morning, they're trying to ignore the fact that they've spent months downplaying. And... Thankfully, people are calling them out on it because one of the big issues I have with mainstream media is nobody holds them accountable for what they say. When they put stories out there or deny stories and they're proven wrong, they just move past it as if nothing's happened. It's the only way for the journalists and the outlets to become better at what they do and provide us with a better service is for us to hold them accountable and say, no, stop, you've gotten that wrong. At least admit and acknowledge that you've gotten it wrong. And then we can start fresh. Until then, they'll remain in the doldrums and they'll remain putting out clickbait nonsense. One interesting anecdote that comes in the midst of this Tiago story is from Daniel Taylor, uh, probably the finest journalist in the country, who says uh, Thiago should be a great signing for Liverpool and another what-if moment for Manchester United. Thiago was Alex Ferguson's leaving present for David Moyes in 2013. Years of scouting, everything agreed, and then Moyes called it off because he didn't feel he knew enough about the player. That's, that's just a kick in the teeth to United fans who are not having the best summer. Uh, who are already slightly disillusioned with their club and now, you know, just get that reminder that David Moyes turned down the opportunity to sign Thiago and instead signed Marouane Fellaini, um, which says a lot about what his ambition was for Manchester United. It's right up there with him sitting down with Nemanja Vidic and Rio Ferdinand and telling them to watch videos of Phil Jagielka because that's how he wanted them to play. This, this deal should be wrapped up in the next day or two. Uh, my understanding is that the medical has already taken place and that he is going to sign a four-year contract, wear the number six jersey, and probably be unveiled, I would say, tomorrow. Um, that's huge for Liverpool. Also huge, 
could be the return of Gareth Bale. I talked about this yesterday with Lee Scott. But I, I just, the more I think about it, I, the more I think from a Spurs point of view, the boost that it can give to the fan base, the boost that it can, can give to the squad to have Gareth Bale return, I, I just think it could be huge. Now, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him because the issue for him is that he's not the player he was when he left. But people will always remember him as the player he was. People, you know, Spurs fans will always remember the player he was. And my hope is that they don't try and hold him to that standard, that they appreciate that it's been seven years, that he's a different player now, that his body just isn't capable of what it was capable of back then. I still think he's got a lot to offer. I I, I think he's got a lot to prove as well. His reputation has taken a bit of a beating over the last two years. Uh, a lot of the stuff to do with, you know, not learning the language and being more interested in playing golf and not being fully committed to Real Madrid. But I, I can believe he'll be fully committed to Spurs. I can. I think he's the one pushing for this move. By all accounts, it's his people that have reached out to Spurs. And it's his people that are trying to make Real Madrid agree to pay part of the wages and agree to a low fee for next summer, assuming you know they get the, oblig- the obligation to buy uh, based on Champions League football. It's, it's what my understanding of it is from what I've seen Alistair Gold, who's one of the better Spurs reporters, say is it will be an obligation to buy at the end of a loan period. So you'd assume it's going to be based on if Spurs get Champions League, they'll buy Gareth Bale. If he's pushing for the move, it's a really good sign for them. It means it's where he wants to be. He'll be a big help to Harry Kane. I think he can be a big mentor to a lot of the players there as well because he's played at the very pinnacle. The very, very pinnacle. Four Champions Leagues he's won. So he he knows what it takes. He's been around serial winners. He's been around Cristiano Ronaldo. He's been around Sergio Ramos. He's been around Zinedine Zidane. He's been around greatness. Now, he didn't always get on very well with Zidane, but he's been around Zidane. He's seen how he carries himself, how he prepares for things, the level of detail that goes into things. Played with Cristiano, and people have varying opinions on Cristiano, but one thing you can't deny is his complete and utter dedication to the game. So he can bring that into the Spurs dressing room, and it is something that Spurs lack. You do always feel at times that you look at certain Spurs players and they're not always fully dedicated to winning. Some of them are just happy to be there. And that's something that will need to change. They're too nice. Mourinho said it himself in the All or Nothing documentary. Spurs are too nice. Bale needs to drill that into them. Somebody in that team needs to emerge as a bit of an enforcer not just on the pitch, but in the dressing room as well. Someone who'll pull the rest together, hold others accountable. We saw it happen at Liverpool when Virgil van Dijk arrived. His leadership is what has led to this transformation at Liverpool. Others have been credited for it, but it's him. He's the one that's held everybody accountable. He's the one that's pulled the dressing room together. And he's the one that's raised the standards on the pitch. Bale might not do that to the same extent, but he will help. And he will help others emerge into that role. 
he's not the only one coming in. It looks like Sergio Regulon obviously is arriving as well. Now, this potentially means that Ryan Sessegnon will go on loan, which I think is the better move for him. He's got Mora, Bergwijn, and Son ahead of him in wide attacking roles, and now Bale, and Regulon, and Ben Davies will be ahead of him at the left-back position. So alone is what makes sense. I said yesterday to Lee, I think Brighton would be perfect for him. But you also have to wonder where this leaves Deli Ali. Now, Delhi is coming off two disappointing seasons. Given the player he emerged in Spurs from MK Dons and how he performed there immediately after arriving, his first three seasons with Spurs, he was fantastic. 10 and 33, 18 and 37, 9 and 36, but then a drop. Now, last year, admittedly, he got 8 and 25, so the goal return was there for him. If he'd played a full season, he, he would have easily had double figures and goals. But the level of performance wasn't there. Part of it is he's never fully recovered from that thigh injury he suffered in 2018. He played through that whole World Cup with that injury. And he carried it into the next season. And he just wasn't the same player at all. And I don't know that he's fully been fit ever since. He is a fantastic player. But he's also now 24. So Delhi needs to kick on to the next level. Because he's entering his prime years. And based on what he was for those first three years at Spurs... His prime years should have seen him become a a world-class footballer, capable of playing at the very highest level. As things stand, that's not what he is. It's not what he's going to be. The talent is clearly there. Whether the mindset and the attitude are there, I don't know. I'd like to see him get a move away from Spurs, if I'm honest. Now, I don't know what the ideal move for him is, if if Mourinho was willing to play a diamond in midfield, then Spurs would have the perfect system. They have the players to play a diamond. Mourinho has no interest. I'd like to see him go somewhere, work under a progressive manager, a development manager, who gets the most out of his players, who doesn't try and... I mean, the problem with Mourinho is that when he outmanages people... He does it with, like, the small margins. But you don't necessarily feel he's getting the best out of his players. I'd like to see Delhi go somewhere where he's playing for a manager who gets the best out of his players. As a Liverpool fan, I'd love to have him at Liverpool. I think you could convert him into playing the role that Roberto Firmino plays. And I think he'd be phenomenally good at it. Firmino plays as a 9 who drops to a 10. He's a creator. He opens space without touching the ball. He influences the game without being necessarily involved in the play. And Delhi is brilliant at that. But Delhi's a better finisher than Bobby Firmino. He times his runs into the box better than Bobby Firmino. Now, whether he has the work ethic and the work rate, that's debatable. At times, he's shown it. At times, it's been lacking. But I'm a huge fan of Delhi, and I'd love to see him get a move. 
It doesn't have to be Liverpool. That's just me being selfish. I want to see him become the best version of himself. Now, maybe that would require him making a move abroad. Perhaps there's a Serie A club who could get the most out of him, use him better than he's been used at Spurs. Spanish football would very much suit him. That fast-paced, high-tempo game where he can just get himself into the box over and over again. And there's so much chances created through those games. And the de- level of defending is, well, it's it's dreadful. If we're, if we're being honest, there's about four teams in La Liga who can defend and all the rest just don't bother with it. That type of league could suit Delhi because he'd get chances galore. Um, moving on. It looks like Leicester are on the verge of making their second signing of the summer. Cheng is under from Roma. Turkish wide player, can also play up front. He's been a little bit underwhelming at Roma. He had a very good first season. He was bought to replace Mohamed Salah. There was a lot of pressure put on him. He had a very good first season. But the last two seasons he hasn't played well. He is disappointed time and time again. He's lacked desire. He's lacked a little bit of motivation. He hasn't produced when given the opportunities. Now, a lot of that is just the environment that's been around him. Roma has not been a a particularly good place to be the last couple of years. With the ownership situation, with the director of football who bought him leaving, the manager who bought him, he left as well. So you you do have to take into that into account that it hasn't been the ideal place for a young player. And under is still only 23, 24. So he's still a young player. He's still developing. Roma hasn't helped him. And it's not just him. You look at the likes of Patrick Schick, didn't really get an opportunity, sent out the door. Justin Clivert, in and out of the team, hasn't developed questionable whether he should be staying there long term um luca pellegrini arguably the best young left back in the country sent out the door now lorenzo pellegrini has developed really well but amadou diawara has not um they're just in the process of finalizing marash kambula interesting to see if he develops but roma hasn't been the best place for young players to develop over the last few years so under will go to a manager who is very good at developing and getting the most out of young players. Brendan Rodgers is a very, very good attacking coach. If you play, if, if, if Premier League football was like the NFL, Brendan would be a great offensive coordinator. You wouldn't want him as the head coach if you wanted to win a title. But as an offensive coordinator, he's very creative, he's inventive. He gets the most out of, his, out of his attacking players, and he does develop them well. He finds ways to get that extra bit out of them. So I do think this is a good fit for him. I think it's a good fit for the club. I think it's a really good fit for the player, potentially. It remains to be seen how they're going to play for the majority of the season. They started in the four-one-four-one against West Brom, and that was their base formation last season. So if that's what they stick with, then Under sits in on the right-hand side in place of Ayozi Perez, Harvey Barnes on the left, Yuri Tielemans and James Madison in the middle, and Wilf Ndidi sits behind them. And that, all of a sudden, 
is a, a brilliant midfield. They're all in the same age bracket. They've all got a couple of years to go before they really, you know, hit their prime. They all have massive amounts of talent. And if Brendan can get them all performing, it could be one of the best midfields in the league. Jamie Vardy will have creativity. He'll have goals from midfield to support him. Jamie Vardy all of a sudden could be a really good bet to win another golden boot. Uh, At the back, Ricardo, another great attacker. and, And one of the big things that under will do is he will allow Ricardo to just overlap time and time again because as a left-footed player, he will cut inside and free that channel. So Leicester's right-hand side will become quite potent. Now, what he will have to do is he'll have to become a lot more diligent defensively. He's not a good defensive player. He doesn't really put the effort in that way. Now, it might help having Kaglar Sianchu at centre-back screaming at him to get back, but he is going to have to up his game defensively. But that should give them really good balance. I, I don't. If they play the four, that means Castanier is playing as a left back in a four, and I don't like that fit. I especially don't like it because you have no balance now. You don't have left a left footer on your left. Harvey Barnes is always going to cut inside, and now he's going to cut inside as well from left back. So you're not going to have natural width. Your passing angles are going to be a little bit weird. You're not going to be able to stretch the play, you know, in both directions, vertical and horizontal. So that's something I'd be a little bit concerned about. But I like the signing of under. It's a it's a loan with an obligation to buy. I my assumption is that they could only afford to buy one more player, and that they've made a decision that they want to buy the centre back. So they're in for Fafana from Sedetian. Others that have been linked are Ozan Kabak from Schalke and Jonathan Tha from Bayer Leverkusen. So my assumption is that they will buy outright a centre-back this summer and then they'll buy under next summer. They'll have to. They've got the obligation, but that they're just spreading the money around. It's, it's a very smart move. It means that they don't have that massive financial hit this summer of having to buy three starters, even though they sold Chilwell. They're still Leicester City, so they're still going to be very smart. They're still going to be very well run. They're not going to overspend. They're going to spend exactly what they can afford to spend, and that will be it. Uh, Very few clubs in the league better run than Leicester City, and I like this deal. I do. I think it's a good deal for them. Uh, James Tarkovsky remains the apple of David Moyes' eye. West Ham have had a third bid rejected. Uh, this one was $31 million. So they've bid 20 27 and now 31 and repeatedly been told the price is 40 I don't believe they're a serious club. I don't believe that they're in a serious pursuit of James Tarkovsky. I think if they were, they'd be bidding somewhere around the region of 35 million uh, and potentially with add-ons. I don't believe Tarkovsky would take the move. I think even if the deal gets accepted, I think he could well turn it down because 
who wants to go and play football in a circus? And that's what West Ham are at the moment. You've got ex-players continually criticising the owners in the media, which is never a good sign. You've got the captain make, sending critical tweets. You've got the owners having to use their minions in the media to spin things back around. You've got one defeat already and six really tough games coming up. You've got a manager who, in truth, there's major question marks over. He hasn't really shown that he's a good manager since 2013 when he left Everton. His first spell at West Ham was quite good. Uh, his second one less so to date. You've got uncertainty over Declan Rice. You've got uncertainty over the likes of Felipe Anderson, Sebastian Haller. I just think there's too many question marks over West Ham for a player like Tarkovsky, who's in one of the most settled environments in the league at Burnley with a stable manager who's been there for eight years now. All his teammates have been there a number of years. There's harmony, there's continuity. It might be a little bit boring because nothing much happens and they don't go and splash cash on big fancy signings, but Burnley are, are a continual feature in the Premier League. That's what they are now. They're just a Premier League team. They're not, you know, they're not a team that scraps against relegation. They're not a, a plucky young upstart. They're just a, an established Premier League team now. And West Ham, even with the signing of Tarkovsky, are probably still worse than Burnley. Because Burnley can turn around and turn that 40 million into two or three players and maybe get better. But West Ham would still have the worst fullback situation in the league. And for me, I would be sorting the fullback situation before I sort the centre back situation. I think that's more important to get those because of how Moyes plays. Because when Moyes' team at Everton were at their best, he had Coleman and Baines as his fullbacks. And they just attacked and attacked and attacked. And that's where he got his width. That's where he got a lot of his creativity. He doesn't have that at West Ham. He doesn't know. David Moyes doesn't know how to get the best out of creative players. You go and look at his Everton teams. And the likes of Stephen Pienaar lost a massive amount of his creativity when he went there. Andy van der, der are the same. A lot of these creative players that Moyes brought in at Everton became functional players under him. And it was the likes of a Tim Cahill who emerged as like the big goal scorer purely by running in straight lines to get into the box um, and being pretty good in the air. So Moyes needs those fullbacks to be productive for him. And they've already missed out. I mean, like, let's look at the list. They missed out on Maddie Cash. They missed out on Jaden Bogle. They missed out on Anthony Robinson. They missed out on Jamal Lewis. These are all... Ola Aene, Kenny Tete. These are all players who could have improved West Ham United this year. Harry Pickering signed a new contract at Crew, but I still think if you went and threw them the money, they'd probably sell him and he'd probably make the move. Ryan Sessegnon could be available. It's a risk because you're going to play a flat back four and he's got limited experience in the Premier League 
as a left back, but he was really good as a left back for Fulham in the championship. He's a really good young player. Rico Henry's still available. I, I just don't know what West Ham are doing this summer. And I find it really disappointing, and I find it disheartening for their fan base, who are incredibly passionate and have had to put up with a lot over the last number of years. They had to say goodbye to Upton Park, which had been their home for you know a century, move somewhere that isn't a soccer stadium. I mean, it's not a football stadium. It's an athletic stadium. It's an arena. And for events and athletics, it's great. For football, it's not. And they've been fed lie after lie after lie by this ownership group. And you wonder where it ends. Rumours are that the owners have turned down two large bids from American consortiums in the last few months. If that's true, you have to wonder what they're asking for. Like, if one of the bids was allegedly around $450 million. Now, considering they don't own the stadium, which would be a huge asset of probably $100 million, you'd wonder what they're really holding out for. Um... I think they're they're up, up there with Ashley as the worst owners in the league. And Ashley, at least this summer, has backed Steve Bruce. These haven't given Moyes a penny. And whether he knew that when he signed up for the job or not, I, I don't know. But it's a surefire way to get a manager annoyed and get a manager to consider his future. They lost their first game. They've got a horrendous run coming up. Their players look disinterested. Their best player is going to leave at some point. I mean, Declan Rice is going to leave at some point. It might not be this summer, but it'll start up again in January. It'll start up next summer. At some point, Declan Rice will go. Because you haven't done enough to put a team around him that can convince him he can have the success he wants and craves at your club. And that's unacceptable. You said you made the move to the new stadium to compete. You said you could win a league in Champions League. You said, look at Atletico Madrid. None of that's happened. You haven't even got close. I think you finished 10th. I don't know. It's a strange one. And it's, it's, it's something we're seeing up and down the country at the moment with manage, uh, ownership at all different levels just being absolutely toxic. And I talked yesterday about Macclesfield and what happened to them. Just just go, take five minutes of your day right now and go and look into their owner and what he has done to that club. That club went to the wall for about half a million. He was offered over a million in January. That would have cleared the debt and bought him out. He would have got half a million the debt would have been paid off and that club would still be around today. Instead, Macclesfield fans don't have a club to support anymore. And yes, they can start a Phoenix club, but it's never going to be the same. It's the same thing that happened to Bury. It almost happened to Bolton. It could still happen to Bolton. Bolton still aren't out of the, the hole that they were in. They have to find three and a half million by January or they risk 
a massive points deduction, which could send them out of the league. If they go out of the league, they'll go out of business. They might go out of business anyway. Who knows if it's if it's sustainable? But the ownership issue in English football, from the Premier League down, there's just so many bad owners. And we're told that there's you know fit and proper persons tests and all these different type of things. Well, they obviously don't work. We saw the Saudi group get blocked from buying Newcastle. But yet we've seen people with absolutely no money behind them be allowed to buy League One and League Two clubs. And I think half the time people just want to buy it just to say that they owned it. But like you look at what happened to Wigan. How how are these people passing fair and proper ownership tests? Where a guy can buy a club allegedly that no, a guy that nobody's ever seen or met before can buy a club for forty million and then stick them immediately into administration. And then oh, isn't isn't it weird that there's lots of bets been placed in Asia? for Wigan to get relegated, even though they're currently sitting comfortably in mid-table. And we're meant to believe that these fit and proper ownership tests actually work. It's the same thing at Premier League level. The Saudis aren't fit to own a club, but Golden Sullivan are. Mike Ashley is. The Glazers are. And the Glazers have pulled nearly a billion pounds out of Manchester United since they bought the club. And yes, there's been success. They won the Champions League. They won some league titles. But the last seven years since Ferguson left have been barren for United. A couple of cups. Europa League. Things that United fans turned their nose up at 10 years ago is what they've been given. Now you see them in the transfer market. Can't afford the Sancho deal. Couldn't afford the Grealish deal. Signed Donny van de Beek, even though he's not exactly what they needed. Haven't bought a centre-back. Haven't bought a left-back. Pulled out of a deal, apparently, for Regulon. Or declined to get involved in the deal. Um, Rumoured to be in for Thiago. Never were. It's an ongoing situation with ownership in the Premier League and lower leagues that these people aren't fit to run their football clubs. And it's the fans who suffer. It's the West Ham fans who suffer because of the incompetence of that ownership. It's the Newcastle fans that suffer because of the incompetence of that ownership. It's the Manchester United fans that suffer because of the greed and incompetence of their owner. Now, as a business enterprise, United are still brilliantly run. But as a football club, they're a train wreck. And you look at their training ground needs updating. Their stadium needs massive renovation. There's a hole in the roof, which is about the size of the hole into your attic in your house. And when it rains, water runs down the roof and pours through it. And if you're unfortunate enough to be sitting beneath that, you could genuinely drown because of the speed and force it comes down at. And that hole has been there a couple of years now, and they've done nothing to fix it. Um, 
we need to be we need to do better. Fans deserve better. And the Premier League and the FA and the Football League all need to come together and remember that the game is played for the fans. It's not played so people in suits can get very, very rich. Without the fans, there is no game. People will say, oh, there was no fans at the games last season. There wasn't at the game. They were watching at home on television. And because they were watching at home on television, and they were paying massive subscriptions to Sky or to BT, or in America they were paying for their TV package, which got them NBC, or in Australia they're paying for Foxtel. Because of that, those companies can then give the Premier League lots of money because they're making a big profit on themselves. And that's how the game functions. But if people stopped watching, all of a sudden, there's no game. Because if people stop watching, there's no TV money. If there's no TV money, clubs can't afford to pay their wages. Not in the Premier League, anyway. Most Premier League clubs rely on that TV money to function. They wouldn't function otherwise. Lower league clubs are going to be in trouble now because there's no fans anyway. They're all going to be in major trouble. We may well see two or three more go to the wall over the next couple of months. And much of it is down to the mismanagement by ownerships. So I've gone on a tangent here, and I do apologize for that, but it, it is something that bugs me greatly when I see bad ownership and fans just being completely disregarded and having to suffer the consequences. Because at the end of the day, Gold and Sullivan don't care about West Ham, and they can walk away from it. They can sell it up to anybody they want, walk away and just go count their money. But it's the fans who'll have to live with the consequences of their mistakes and their decisions and whoever buys the club. So, you know, that's not ideal. That's going to be me for today. Um, tomorrow I will be joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle and we will preview the weekend's games. As Dan Rhodes will be joining me later in the season. But at the moment, he's just taken up with a project he's working on for Anfield Index and Anfield Index Pro. Uh, I'll have Stephen Scragg next week for an interview to discuss his uh, his two books, Frozen in Time, which is a book about the Cup Winners' Cup, which I think football is worth without, is worse without. And he's got a new book coming up on the UEFA Cup. So that's out in October. So we'll have a good chat about that next week. Um, so that's it. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for listening. Until then. Sports Social Podcast Network.